Okay, several weeks ago, we started a series called Ordinary People in a Wrecked World. And we're just taking a look at how we can be agents of peace. If our world needs anything, folks, it's peace. And the season that we're entering into, the Christmas season, if you think about it, it's, it's about peace. The, the angels announced from heaven, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. It, 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 Paul comes along in Colossians and he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And God's plan for you and I is to be his peace agents. And this is summarized in a statement that goes something like this. It is ordinary people empowered by God making a difference together wherever they are. That's the peace plan. It is about ordinary people. It's not about superstars. It's not about super saints. It's about common people like you and I are who are empowered by God. What God has called us to do, he gives us the power to do, making a difference together. God, the church, and you and I, making a difference together wherever we are. Personal peace, local peace, and global peace. Personal peace is about our ministry to the people that are in our relational world, our family, our friends, our coworkers. Local peace is about groups of Christians, us coming together and ministering to our larger community, Collin County. And global peace is our church's mission, partnering with other churches throughout the world. This peace plan addresses five global giants that are everywhere throughout the world in varying degrees. Spiritual emptiness. Do you know anybody who's spiritually empty in your personal world? Yeah, all of us can name someone. Spiritual emptiness, egocentric leadership, abject poverty, uh, pandemic diseases, and illiteracy. These things exist throughout the world in varying degrees. These problems are so big that no government, no business has been able to tackle these. And why is that? Because they've left out the main ingredient. And that is the church. God has called the church to bring peace into this world. And it is big enough to take on these global giants. 2.2 billion, there are 2.2 billion followers of Jesus Christ. And God has called the church, he has called you and I to be agents of peace, personally, locally, and globally. To do what? To promote reconciliation. To address this issue of spiritual emptiness. You can't have peace in your world until you have peace within. Promoting reconciliation, planning churches. Churches are truly the hope of the world. So you promote reconciliation and plant churches. You equip leaders, you assist the poor, you care for the sick, and you educate the next generation. Several weeks ago, we took a look at the P, promoting reconciliation. And the action item was get a blessing in a box. And I think they're all gone, okay? 
to reach out to your neighbors and begin building that relational bridge, introducing people to Christ. Today, what I wanna do is I wanna take a look at E, equipping leaders. The Bible tells us that many of the problems that are in our world are because of a shortage of good ethical leaders. When there, are, when there is no leadership, people will do whatever is right in their eyes. And the result is always chaos. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse four. Without wise leadership, a nation is in trouble. Now this is not only true for a nation, but folks, this is true for a church. This is true for government. This is true for business. This is true for your marriage and your family because everything rises and falls on leadership. When people don't have good leadership, people drift. This was true in the Old Testament. Take a look at Zechariah chapter 10, verse two. The people wander about like lost sheep. They are in trouble because they have no leader. Now, what is leadership? Well, let me tell you what leadership is not. It is not a title. It is not a position. It is not charisma. It is not personality. If you think that you're a leader just because you have a title, just because you've got some personality and some charisma, and you go for a walk and no one is following you, guess what? You are not a leader, okay? Well, then, Pastor George, what is leadership? One word, influence. Leadership is influence. And with that definition, guess what? We are all leaders. You may not think of yourself as a leader. In fact, you, right now you may say, well, I'm, I'm not a leader. I don't have any influence. Oh, yes, you do. You have more influence than what you realize. You influence your family, your friends, your neighbors, your schoolmates, when you post something on Facebook, Instagram, I don't know, whatever else is out there, so you are influencing people. The fact is, every person that you come in contact with, you have the potential to influence. The real issue is not whether you are a leader or not. The real issue is, what kind of leader are you? Are you a leader, a good leader, or are you a lousy leader? Are you leading for good and for God, or are you leading for selfish purposes? What kind of leader are you? Jesus defines the heart of true leadership. Take a look at Luke chapter 22, verse 26. The one who serves you best will be your leader. Will you circle the word serve? He's talking about servanthood leadership. And he's saying that the best leaders are those who serve you the best. Now this is extremely important. Because the more you serve other people, the more influential you become. Think about Mother Teresa. How, how was it that everyone in the world would listen to her? That she could walk into a president's office and they would listen to her. She could walk into the UN and people would listen to her. How is that? I mean, she's some little old, she was some little old lady, okay, that was in uh, India. I'll tell you how. Because she learned to serve the least and the most. Now, Jesus modeled this principle. 
take a look at Matthew 20, verse 28. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. Will you circle two words? Circle the word serve and circle the word give. Those two words define the heart of leadership. You serve and you give. That's why I'm challenging us during this holiday season that you will give an extra month, whatever you normally give in a month, towards missions, okay? Why? Because the heart of leadership is to serve people. It's to scramble to the bottom. And it is to give, to give of your time and your talents and your treasures. Now, I want you to listen to me very closely. If you are following Jesus, God wants other people following you. Why? Because at least those people will be going in the right direction. That is why Marty and I, before the service, we prayed for you to be the leaders that God has called you to be. That you would understand the calling that God has on your life to influence people in your personal world, your marriages, your families and kids so that we can reach the next generation, this community and the world at large. And so I am praying that you will realize the, the, the calling that God has on your life to lead. Because I would rather have people following you than some rock star, right? That's going and taking them in the wrong direction. And sure, you and I are not perfect, but at least we're trying. And so today, I wanna challenge you to accept God's call on your life to lead other people, to influence other people for good and for God. If we're gonna have peace in our world, we're gonna need millions of leaders, millions. And I'm looking at some right now. So how do you and I become servant leaders there's only one way. As you and I look at the only perfect leader, Jesus Christ. Today we're gonna to take a look at five marks of servant leadership. And the first one is this. Servant leaders set an example. Leading begins with right living. And if you live right, you will lead right. In essence, Servant leadership begins with yourself. Not by demanding that you are a leader, but rather by being an example of it. Jesus always modeled what he called us to do. Take a look at John 13, verse 15. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now I have a question. How many people do you have to have to be a leader? A thousand? Five hundred? Fifty? How about just one? And I say this because I am not asking us to be a leader of armies. I am asking you and I just to be a leader of one person to influence one person. If you and I just influence one person each in a generation, this world will have, will, will have been reached for Jesus Christ, for the glory of God and for the good of other people. 
Leadership is not necessarily about leading armies of people. Folks, it's about leading just one other. Now, who might that be? Well, there are two big categories. One is believers, and the other one is everyone else. Take a look at 1 Timothy 4.12. Set an example for the, will you circle this word, believers. How? In speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. God calls us to be leaders, even amongst ourselves, to lead other believers through our behavior, our conduct of who we really are. And then everyone else. Take a look at 1 Peter 2.12. People who do not believe are living all around you. Live such good lives that they will see the good things you do and will, glory, and will give glory to God on the day when Christ comes again. Will you circle, we'll see. God says, I just don't want them to hear what you say. I want them to see what you do. I want you to be an audiovisual Christian. I want you to walk the walk and I want you to talk the talk. Now, how can you and I do that in our personal worlds? Well, there's all kinds of ways. Honestly, there, there, there are literally thousands of ways that you can do this, okay? You can do this by serving at home. I want you to know I did all the dishes at, for Thanksgiving, okay? And I did it with a happy heart because I complained about it last Sunday, okay? So I thought I, I better end. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you can serve in your family, you can make the bed with 20 pillows on it. Mm. You can praise people at your work when they've done a good job, patting them on the back. You can do this while you're grocery shopping. How? By making sure that if you get in a line that says 20 or less, that you have 20 or less. Right? I saw this at this weekend. I said, he's got 50 things right there, Okay. Here's another one, okay? You can do this at church by not complaining about my Hawaiian shirts. Okay, that's it, okay. Now, that's seriously, the point is that there are all kinds of opportunities for you and I to set the example of being servant leaders. The second way is this. Servant leaders show you how. They just don't tell you how, they show you how. Jesus did this. Take a look at Matthew 4, 19. Jesus called out, come along with me and I will show you how to fish for the souls of men. Now, why did he do this? It's because we always learn better through demonstration than we do instruction. We always learn more through our eyes than we do through our ears. So let me ask you this question. Do you want your kids to change? How many of you have kids here? May I see your hands? Just get them up there. How, how, do you want your kids to change? Only one amen on that. I thought this place would be roaring, okay? <laughs> then don't tell them how. Show them how. Do you want your friends to change around you? Don't tell them how. Show them how. Every Thanksgiving for the last 10 years, there has been a couple who came to know Christ here, then got transferred to San Francisco. But they always come in because family, mom, and dad are here. And they were here this last weekend. And they said, George, we just absolutely love LifePoint Church. We still consider it our church. And the reason we love this place is because 
You're so practical. And it is, it, 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 we understand how to apply it. And I told them, you know what? We do this intentionally. Because I have learned a long time ago that it is not about the knowing that makes the difference. It's about the doing that makes the difference. I make no apologies. I am a practical teacher. I am personal. I am positive. But I am practical. What you get on Sunday, you can use on Monday. Because it is not enough just to know what to do. You must know how to do it. And for the last 30 years, I have been trying to show how to love each other and this community. Now, there is a second part to this, though. It's not enough just to know how. God expects you and I, and if you're a parent, I'm going to be hitting on this in February. I'm going to start a whole new series and we're going to take a look at Daniel's life. He was 14 years old when he was taken into Babylon. And you look at his life and how he fleshed it out over the next 80 years. And there's a lot of principles on parenting in this thing for ourselves. But there's a second thing. And it is this. God expects you to give it away. Take a look at 2 Timothy 2.2. Pass on what you heard from me. The whole congregation saying amen to reliable leaders who are competent to teach others. I want you to notice that there are four generations here. There's Paul talking to Timothy, to the congregation, and then to others. Folks, this is how peace is spread. It must be sustainable. It must be something that you can simply do and reproduce. It must be reproducible. In other words, it must be a multiplication process. So let me make this practical for you and I in a personal way, with personal peace. How can you be a servant leader with people in your relational world? One way, two things you gotta do to get there. One, first thing is this, make a list of all the things that you're good at. This is so simple. Do you realize that you have five to 700 different abilities? Most people don't realize that. You're not good at all of them, but you're good at a lot of those. Make a list of all the things that you are good at. And then, number two, pass them on to other people who want to know. We have built, when Marty came on board, we built a whole ministry around this called DIY. Do it yourself, where you identify your skills that you are really good at. And we set up a class and other people come who want to know it. And through that class, you are sharing what God has given you. You are influencing. That's called leadership. And that is so easy. Now let me give you another one personally. Who is happier? A billionaire or a person who has 12 kids? Pretty obvious, right? A person who has 12 kids, he doesn't want anymore, right? <laughs> well, I guess what? I'm a leader, and that's a joke, and pass it on, right? Okay, there you go. I've been waiting all week for that joke, okay? But again, I am not talking about you influencing an army of people. I'm asking just one person. 
for the glory of God and for their good. You can do this. How? By just being one step ahead of them, okay? So servant leaders set an example. They show others how. The third way is that servant leaders speak the truth. This is the third characteristic. You must speak the truth because truth brings credibility. Now, if you study Jesus' life, you will notice that he said this many times. Matthew 5, 18, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. He not only modeled truth, but folks, he spoke that phrase 78 times in the Gospels. And by saying that, he is communicating, other people will mess up your minds, but I will tell you the truth. And he did because he was the truth. Now take a look at Proverbs 20, verse 28. Love and truth form a good leader. Sound leadership is found on loving integrity. Why is that? Because if you don't have integrity, you don't have credibility. And if you don't have credibility, you don't have trust. And if you don't have trust, you're not going to have followers, which means you won't be a leader. Now, here's the challenge. Most people will not tell you the truth because they're afraid of your response. Most people are afraid of what you might think. They might tell you 95% of what you need to hear, but they won't go 100% because they would rather you like them than them help you. They won't tell you the truth to you, but they sure in the world will tell other people the truth about you, won't they? You ever experienced that? If you know someone and you have a relationship with them and, and they're messing up their life and you don't tell them, you're a coward. And you're not a leader because leaders tell the truth. They care enough to confront now, this issue, honestly, has been going on a long, long time. Old Testament, Jeremiah 9.5 says, Friends deceive friend, and no one speaks the truth. So do you want to be a leader? Then I say this, you stop the lie that says, well, it's none of my business. Because if you care, you're aware, and you will dare to share. You will say, you know what? This is really hard for me to say, but you know, I love you, and I just want to share some things with you because I really think you're going in the wrong direction. Now, I think the challenge is, do you have anyone in your life who will share the truth with you? And where is your truth, your love quotient for your friends and your family and your co-workers? Sometimes all that is needed in a relationship for it to go south is for someone not to share the truth. Now, there is a qualifier to this, and we all know what it is. It's love. And Paul mentions this in Ephesians 4, 15. He says, by speaking the truth in a spirit of love, we must grow up in every way to Christ. And so when you speak, you, you don't speak out of superiority. You speak humbly. You treat people the way Jesus treated people when he talked with them. If you study the life of Jesus and his leadership, 
He was one that spoke truth and love, and he did it three ways. Through a look, a word, and a touch. Through a look, he looked at people in the eyes. When you look at a person in the eyes, it communicates to them, you matter to me. And then through a word, he always spoke a word of encouragement to lift them up. And then through a touch, he affirmed them. And wherever you and I go, whether it is in our personal worlds or whether it's in our community or whether it's even going globally, you give a look, a word, and a touch because that's how Jesus led. Servant leaders set examples. They show people how. They speak the truth. And then the fourth one, servant leaders stretch your faith. If you're gonna be a servant leader, you're gonna have to learn how to stretch people's faith. This is true of Jesus. Wherever he went, he was stretching people's faith. Now, why should you and I do that other than, than Jesus did it? It's because, folks, it's the only way that you and I grow. It's when we get challenged. If we don't have any challenges in our life, guess what? We become lazy and lethargic. It's only when we get, it's only when there are bigger things that get us out of ourselves that we grow. So how do you and I do this Personally, being the influencers that God has called us to be. Let me give you three ways. One is by encouraging them to face their fears. Jesus did this all the time. Jesus was sitting in a public situation, kind of like this, and a guy walks in who has a withered hand and he is hiding it. And Jesus, guess what he does? He publicly draws attention to this. Let's read this verse out of Matthew 12, 13. Then he said to the man, this man with the withered hand, who was ashamed and hiding it, stretch out your hand. Now let's stop right there. Have you ever felt like you have been stretched by God? God, I am in over my head. I am out of my league. As you know, we're, we're seeking to disciple a whole nation in Cameroon. Not a church to church, one church to literally thousands of churches. And I had to write my first diplomatic letter this past week. I'm going, God, I've never done this before. How in the world? God, I am out of my league. Have you ever been stretched like that? Where you've been stretched physically, mentally, spiritually, financially, emotionally? Well, guess what? God is getting ready to set you up for a miracle if you trust him. Notice what happens. And so he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. This guy was hiding something. I think he was hiding more than his physical hand. He was hiding his fear. And I am sure when he heard Jesus say, I want you to stretch out your hand or your arm, he is thinking, I'm gonna be embarrassed. I'm gonna be looked at and I'm gonna be laughed at. I'm gonna be rejected. I'm gonna be disappointed. I'm gonna be a failure. And yet, it wasn't until he reached his hand out 
that he was restored. Here's the point. Whatever you want restored, God is going to stretch you. I don't care what it is. It may be your marriage. God is going to stretch you. It may be your family. God is going to stretch you. It may be your career. It may be your work. God is going to stretch you. He is going to get you to expose what you fear the most so that he can do his work. Because it is not about your abilities or lack of abilities. It is about God. Ordinary people empowered by God, stretching out beyond their comfort zone. Why in the world does God do that? Because God is more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. And if you're going to help people grow in their faith, you are going to have to help them face their fears. The second way that you stretch people's faith is by challenging them to to do the seemingly impossible. Jesus did this with his disciples all the time. He's out. There's a crowd, 5,000 guys, probably 10,000 other people there. There's always wives hanging around and kids. And he turns to Philip and says, Philip, I think they're hungry. Let's feed them. Take a look at this, John 6, 5 through 6. When Jesus looked out and saw that a large crowd had arrived, he said to Philip, where can we buy bread to feed these people? He said this, and will you circle this word? To stretch Philip's faith. He already knew what he was going to do. Now, I'm sure when Jesus told Philip, hey, Philip, go feed them. I'm sure he was thinking, why me? I want you to ask Peter. He's the one that walked on water. I've never done that, okay? I don't have the faith. No, that's okay, Philip. I'm going to stretch you. Some of you are thinking, George, this, this whole idea of one church discipling a whole nation of churches That is huge. Why are you calling us to do that? Because I'm a leader. And I'm I'm stretching your faith. Pastor George, it was just enough to take a blessing in a box. I don't even know my neighbor's name, let alone give them a gift that has the Jesus film in it and something personal from myself and some cookies and an invitation to come to church. I've never even done that before. Pastor George, why are you doing that? Because I'm a leader. And I am wanting to stretch your faith. My job is to get you to do what you think you can't do, but that God has intended for you to do. And God sees it I see leaders. I hope you see it. Truly, my job is to help you become something that you never imagined you could become. But God has. The third way is by helping them think bigger. Mark 9, 23. What do you mean if I can? Jesus is speaking this to this person. And Jesus asks, anything is possible if a person believes. If you're going to think, you might as well think big, right? Because it doesn't cost anything to dream. I've been dreaming, okay? I don't know what it is, whether it's my old age 
or whether my TV is really old, okay? It's a DLP. It should be in a museum right now, okay? And it, for whatever reason, it just doesn't look as clear. Uh, maybe it's the size. It's only a 65-inch. So I've been driving around with Cheryl, my wife, and Cheryl, you know what? That TV, you know, would really be nice. 75-inch TV. George, we can't afford it. I said, it doesn't cost anything to dream. Let's just talk. Let's just dream about this. This is how you work it, okay? So I'm telling my son, my middle boy, Matthew, yeah, I've been talking to mom about a 75-inch TV. I think age, you know, I, I need a bigger one to see it, you know. I need more clarity. That kind of says, he said, Dad, you need an 82-inch TV. I said, I like your thinking. Let's go for it. Folks, if you're going to think big, or if you're going to think, you might as well think big. You might as well think big personally. How big are you thinking about influencing your family for Jesus Christ, for good and for God this Christmas? Enough to invite him to the Christmas tree, which is a blast. It's so non-Christian. I mean, I'll break it down for you, okay? To invite them to the Christmas Eve services? To do something in the community to go global? I'm gonna be building five teams over this next year. George, this is huge. Let me read something to you. Make no small plans, for they have no power to stir humanity's blood, and they probably themselves will not be realized. Instead, make big plans, aim high in hope, and work remembering that a noble, logical plan once recorded will never die. But once we are gone, will be a living thing asserting itself with ever-growing insistency. You know who said that? A famous American architect, and he was talking about buildings that would last maybe two or three hundred years. Folks, we're building the kingdom of God that will never crumble. All hell will not overcome the church. And the lives that will be touched will be eternal. And so the question that I ask you is, will you let God stretch your faith personally this season so that God can use you to stretch other people's faith? Servant leaders show or set examples. They show how it's done. They speak the truth. They stretch people's faith. And then the last one, servant leaders sacrifice their agenda. Jesus is the most influential leader in the whole wide world, even in this 21st century. And take a look at this out of Titus 2.14, he gave himself for us so he might pay the price to free us from all evil. Will you circle pay the price? What is the price of leadership? There is always a cost to lead. As a parent in your family, as a person in the church, at the workplace, there's always a price. What is the price it's sacrificing your agenda for God's agenda. It is sacrificing your plans for God's plans. And that is what Jesus Christ did. 
Folks, this is the gospel. God left heaven above. If you read Isaiah 6, they were having a heavenly conversation, laying out what was going to happen from beginning to end of human history. And God foreknew that man was going to blow it. And yet at the same time, he knew about you and he valued you. And they had this conversation. And the father said to the son, who will go and remedy this priest? Who will come and bring peace in the heart of the people whom I have created so that there can be peace in this world? And Jesus stood up and said, send me, I'll go. And he left his agenda of heaven above and he entered into human history And he lived a perfect life so that he could become the perfect leader and the perfect sacrifice. And he died on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has called you and I to lay aside our agenda for his agenda. If you will seek me and my kingdom... All these other things I will add unto you. God's kingdom is God's plan for the world and he wants peace in the world and it starts with peace in me and peace in those my relational worlds and then locally and then globally and it just, the wave just continues. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wanna ask you, will you sacrifice your agenda for his because he sacrificed his for you. And there are eternal rewards that he says will come your way if you do. Let's pray. God, I just thank you that you are God and that I am not There wouldn't be a chance in my lifetime of thinking of a way of bringing peace to the world through individuals, through the personal sacrifice of God himself. And yet that was your plan. And you just didn't speak it from heaven. You came and you demonstrated it. And we thank you for that. I don't know where you're at. Maybe your outer world looks really cool. I mean, you got sex, status, and salary. But your inner world is in chaos. It's wrecked. And you find yourself just being an ordinary person, unable to calm the storm that's within. I know someone who's big enough to do that. He came and he died on the cross for your sins. Will you yield your life to him? By simply saying this, God, I admit, I'm not at peace. I'm at war within, I'm at war with myself, I'm at war with others because God, I'm at war with you. And right now, God, I want peace. 
I wanna invite you, the Prince of Peace, to come in to my life and begin working in me and begin working through me, God. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin that I have through you, your name. You are the Lord of Lords and you are the King of Kings. You are the Prince of Peace. You are the Almighty One, the Everlasting One. God, you rule and you reign. And I thank you for the forgiveness that I have through you. I look forward to everything that you're gonna do in me and through me. And if you prayed that prayer, as simple as it was, and if you meant it from your heart, God heard it. Would you just let me know on your communication card? Give me your name, email address, so I can email you some things that will help you on your journey of being at peace and being a peacemaker. And so God, we give you this. And we ask you to help us be what you've always intended us to be. In your son's name we pray, amen.